This episode is going to be covering two abilities that care all about creatures. One wants to use them as fuel for the fire, the other one wants you to build an army. But just like a military, there are alliances and there are casualties. And that's exactly what this episode is all about. Casualty and Alliance Mechanics. Hello and welcome to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. As always, I'm your host, Chris, and I'm joined by Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. And first and foremost, at the top of the episode, we want to let you know that you can always reach out to us. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you have a topic that you want us to cover, any show ideas, um, you can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at MTG Under the Hood. And with all of that out of the way, Joe, what have you been working on? I have two decks that I finished, and I'm excited to go ahead and try. We got to try one out the other night. It was a, my Orzov Prison deck for the Pioneer event that we're looking at in the future. Chris, how much fun was it to play against that deck? You absolutely dismantled my deck. As soon as... And it's... It's almost like a death. It's death by thousand cuts. Little bits at a time, yeah. Because I'm uh, doom foretold. That one was just putting in work. Um, a combination of me kind of like spinning my wheels a little bit, but also with you having me discard yep. and sacrifice things. You just and then on on top of that, just exiling everything. Right, no destruction. We're getting rid of it permanently. It's not coming back. Yeah, like <laughs> that one is absolutely brutal, and I hope that it puts in, and I hope that it does really well in upcoming events. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that like we can get a pioneer event somewhere along the way, and I'd I'd like to take it and see how it goes. So we got that one built. I'm excited to use it. We also have a the Tivit Politics deck that I think I had talked about before, using Tivit Seller of Secrets as the commander. Um, we took a bunch of the cards that have Will of the Council, Council's Dilemma, those sorts of abilities, or things that just make people talk at the table to decide the best outcome for the table and the group, rather than necessarily me always making the decision as to like what I want to get rid of, how which creatures we're going to destroy. So we didn't get to play that one the other night, but I'm excited for it. And I'm also working on a new deck using the uh, the commander Cecily Haunted Mage, which is the Magic the Gathering version of the Secret Lair where they used 11 from Stranger Things to make a card. Anyway, the card itself looks really cool. Allows me to cast spells off from my hand on attack if I have 11 or more cards in my hand. Um, so we're trying to make it into like a Voltron deck to where we're protecting Cecily when goes into attack, and then as soon on the attack trigger, we're able to drop a massive spell, something that's going to deal a lot of damage to everybody, or like board wipe and reanimatings. So we're going to give it a shot, see how it goes, but that one is still definitely in the development. It's it's hardcore, like just a concept. Chris, I know you are preparing for the 5K, so we've talked a little bit about that. How's that deck going? So, after playtesting against your decks uh, Saturday, mm-hmm. um, 
I put the finishing touches on it. Uh, I sideboarded a couple of cards, moved some cards to the main board, made a few cuts, and uh, got my deck list together, and ha and it's finally submitted. So, all right. Um, best of luck, and on the next episode, we'll expect to hear quite a bit about how things went. I will definitely be taking notes. Um, and then uh, I've actually been brewing slash building a deck, and it is. Uh, Giada, Font of Hope, Angel, nice. Tribal. Nice. And a uh, fun fact for you. Um, so the other day I bought some cards. Right. And I, so I bought the uh, the Esper Tricycle Land. Right. And then I also bought a Giada. Mm-hmm. Well, pulled some packs, got some packs that day and pulled the Esper Triome. Right. The Esper Tricycle. Um, the other day I got some magic cards. I bought a pack and pulled a Giada. <laughs> Well, you're just doing everything that you need now. I'm so. like, yay! <laughs> um, but I might actually use the other one to build a tiny leader. Oh, nice. That'll yeah. be fun. Yeah, um, yeah it's going to be nothing. So small, changel. small angel tribal? Changelings. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there are enough smaller, like lesser mana cost in angels that you could pull it off. Oh, yeah. But that, but that would be interesting. Yeah. Having an um, angel tribal tiny leader deck. Nice. Yeah, so that's pretty much the one that I've been working on and kind of tweaking what I've been putting together for my uh, um, Kenrith uh, mm -hmm. Wooberg deck because I'm in the I'm in the mindset that I want to build a deck, a commander deck for each color and color combination, and that's 31 decks, and I have about six of them that I'm definitely going to be keeping as right. those ones. So. I'm about a fifth of the way. I'm just about a fifth of the way there. Okay. It'll be good. Yeah, I'm going to need a bigger bag. Well, yeah, that, that's true. But keep us updated on your progress so mm -hmm. we know where you are and what those decks happen to turn into. Oh, well, you so. know one of them, Conrad. You know. <laughs> Conrad. <laughs> all right. So with all of that out of the way, Joe, what are our words to live by? I know it looks like a wall of text, but uh, I'm sure it's pretty, pretty easy to understand. So our words to live by for this episode come from the comprehensive rules. And we, we've done a lot of slang recently, but there are some words from the comprehensive rules that we need to get back and, and look at some of these. So the first one is additional cost. This comes from the CR rule 188.8. Some spells and abilities have additional cost. An additional cost is a cost that's listed in the spell's rules text or applied to a spell or ability from another effect that its controller must pay at the same time they pay the spell's mana cost or the ability's activation cost. Note that some additional costs are listed in keywords, and you can see that in Rule 702. For example, exploit is part of that. You need to sacrifice a creature as part of the cost for exploit, so you can get the trigger that goes along with it. All right. Any number of additional costs may be applied to a spell as it's being cast or to an ability as it's being activated. The controller of the spell or ability announces their intentions to pay any or all of those costs as described in Rule 601.2b. So basically what we're getting at here, additional costs, you can have a bunch of additional costs that go along with your spell. Uh, Kicker is a great classic example of an additional cost. You're paying the original mana cost and then you're paying some more mana or some additional cost to get another effect. Uh, faithless Looting is another good one. Yeah. As an additional cost, oh, sorry, not Faithless Looting, um, uh, Wild Guess. As a, as, 
uh, in addition to paying the mana cost, you have to discard a card. Right. Some additional cost includes sacrificing a creature. You know, uh, village rights is a great example. Mm-hmm. Pay one black, sack Bone a creature. Splinters. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you can, they have all these cards that have additional cost, and the additional cost goes it goes into effect as you're casting the spell. All right. Once you determine the cost, you have to pay the additional cost at the time that you are paying the cost for the spell. But it's something that you you can pay as many additional costs as you like. All right. Now. The other kind of cost that we can have is an alternative cost. Chris, would you tell us about those? All right, so alternative cost, uh, this is from the CR. It is rule 118.9, and it says, Some spells have alternative costs. An alternative cost is a cost listed in a spell's text or applied to it from another effect that its controller may pay rather than paying the spell's mana costs. Alternative costs are usually phrased, You may action rather than pay this object's mana cost or you may cast this object without paying its mana cost note that some alternative costs are listed in keywords c702 um only one alternative cost can be applied to any one spell as it's being cast the controller of the spell announces their intentions to pay that cost as described in rule 601.2b if an alternative cost is being paid to cast a spell. Any additional costs, cost increases, and cost reductions that affect that spell are applied to the, that alternative cost. Um, a good example of the uh, alternative cost is uh, Fist of Suns, because uh, that one says you may pay white, blue, black, red, green instead of paying mana costs. So then that's one that applies to every spell that mm-hmm. you have, right? Um, another example is Flashback, all right? Flashback is an alternative cost then you can pay the flashback cost to get it to cast the spell from the graveyard. All right? But yeah, both great examples of, of what alternative costs are. The important part about alternative costs, though, that we really need to drive home, and I feel like we do this a lot, and we're going to continue to do it again, you may only pay one alternative cost. So if you are able to cast a spell for free you may not use its flashback cost. You may not use its overload cost. If you're, so if, yeah, if overload is, a, is an alternative cost. Um, so if you're able to cast a spell for free, you may not want to choose Cyclonic Rift if you need to get rid of everything off the board. You probably want to overload that, all right? So yeah, make sure you're really paying attention to that. You get one alternative cost per spell. And I do want to make one correction. We noted that additional costs are rule 188.8 in the CR. Uh, that rule doesn't exist. It is 118.8 for those of you who are keeping track at home and want to look this up in the CR. Just type the wrong thing into the show notes there. So, listeners, as we're, we alluded to at the top of the episode, we're talking about two abilities this time, Alliance and Casualty. So we're going to go through Alliance first, we'll talk about all of that, and then we'll go back, we'll talk about Ken a little bit later. Chris, tell us about Alliance. Where did it come from? So Alliance debuted in Streets of New Capenna. Many creatures from past sets have had triggers with other names, uh, such as Enter the Battlefield, um, and namely something like Soul Warden, where whenever a creature, another creature enters the battlefield, you gain one life. The way that uh, previous sets have said this is uh when a creature enters the battlefield do x um and this set gave that trigger uh and streets of new campana is where it got its uh ability word 
it gave that trigger an ability word. All right, Joe, what are the rules? Well, we've been over the rules for ability words enough at this point. Um, I really don't think we need to go over them again. If you're really interested, I think the most recent episode we had that featured an ability word was channel. Um, so you're welcome to go back and listen to that. Essentially, though, because it's an ability word rather than a keyword ability, ability words don't have actual like rules meaning for alliance. It's just a grouping it's a word that groups a series of similar abilities together. So read the text on the card. It's a triggered ability. And really, if, if that's the case, you want to look for the rules for triggered abilities so that you know exactly how a triggered ability functions as opposed to alliance. So go check the rules for uh, ability words. And triggered abilities are real simple. Whenever it triggers, next time someone has priority, Put it on the stack in active player, non-active player order. If you have multiple alliance triggers, keep in mind, you get to decide the order in which they go on the stack. Most of the time, this, given the, the number of abilities creatures with alliance have, most of the time this probably won't matter. But in the event that it does, make sure you stack those triggers correctly so that you get the maximum benefit from all of them. Our featured cards. We're going to start with uh, one that I know wrecked me at pre-release because a guy managed to just keep putting out tokens. And I I actually looked at him and said, I, I can't win because you're going to keep gaining life. It's Social Climber. Social Climber is a creature human druid, 3-2 for two generic and a green. And its alliance trigger is whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. Yay, Soul Warden. Right. Um, well, I mean, this is only under your control as yeah. opposed to any creature. Yeah. But again, this, this card really wrecked me. In the right deck, it can help you gain a lot of life. And, and like I said, he was gaining more life than I was able to, to take away from him every turn. And he was just going to continue to do that. So there was, there was no point in continuing the game. He had it. Chris, what's next? All right. So the next one is Rumor Gatherer. It's a creature elf wizard. It's a 2-1 for a generic white-white. And its alliance trigger is whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, scry one. If this is the second time this ability has resolved this turn, draw a card instead. So you get one creature, you get to scry. You play another, you get another one out there, you get to draw a card. Um, get a third one, you get to scry. Fourth one, you get to scry. You, know, you only get to draw a card on the second trigger. But again, this is another one that if you continue to get triggers out there, you can kind of do top deck manipulation there to where you really do get to decide what's on the top of your deck if you can get enough creatures out in one. So it's it's got a lot of really good uses and it's seen a lot of play in limited. Last one for Alliance we want to talk about is Devilish Valet. This is a Devil Warrior. It's a 1-3 for two generic and a red. It has Trample and Haste, and both of those are very important for this particular creature. And its Alliance trigger is whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, double Devilish Valet's power until end of turn. Now, Chris, I don't know if you've been paying attention but I have seen some people come up with some massive power numbers, especially uh, on MTG Arena. I mean, with the right token generation, you can get it just astronomical. Yeah. I mean, I want to break it. I oh, know I'm to, sure we can. I know how to break it. Um, Were you going to tell us or keep us in suspense? Uh, Polyraptor. <laughs> uh, the uh, one that... Uh, 
the creature, the human creature that uh, whenever a dinosaur enters the battle, uh, dinosaur enters the battlefield under your control, deals one damage to each creature you control. You give uh, devilish valet and uh, the pinger both indestructible, and then you play a polyraptor, and it goes bonkers. Yes. Giving it the indestructible might be a little, little maybe a little, I don't know, maybe a little much, maybe not. I don't assurance. Know. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it's well, necessary, otherwise well, you well, kill no, it. No, the card assurance. Oh, okay. I believe it's a Celestia, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I be, it's like one or two mana. Okay. So it's completely doable right. because I have seen people crash Arena. Mm-hmm. Using Polyraptor in that combo. Right. Because uh, I think the highest highest trigger count that I had seen was there was about 1,200 triggers on this stack. It's a lot of triggers. And at that point, it was chugging. Yeah. So I can break definitely, it. Definitely I'm going to break it. Card, I want to break it. Um, and I know people have done a lot of damage. It's really putting in some work. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised... If the price starts to go up a little bit, if people can really make it do a little bit more work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's quite good. Quite good. All right. So for the dominant colors, so for both Alliance and Casualty, you will find that they are both um, in their respective family colors. Um, so Alliance is from uh, Cabaretti. Um, and so that is white, red, and green. Uh, so there are two in white. Three in red, five in green, and in the commander set, there is one in white and one in red. Um, so like I said, the, you'll only find alliance in cabaretti colors. Um, as for the featured decks, um, Joe, what is... Uh, I, I know it says, like, combine... It's pretty... With all of these new cards, there isn't a set deck built around them. It... Especially with Alliance, it's more like add these things to pre-existing decks to make right. them better. And that's, that's kind of the way this is going. Um, however, I will say that if you can get the token generation going, and then you put in something like Jetmir Nexus of Rebels, who is the Cabaretti leader, all right? If you can get that card into play with efficient token creation, you can give yourself a powerful go-wide Oh, that's the one where if you have a certain number, you get plus one, plus oh, right. you it have keeps, a certain... It keeps you, giving you, yeah, you more, more, more bonuses. You get plus one, right. plus one, plus oh, and Vigilance or Trample. Trample or something like that, yeah. And then... Exactly. And then you get another plus one, plus oh, and something else. Right. And all of those things stack, so at by the time you have the last one active, it's... Plus three, plus O, trample, and I think it's vigilance as well. I, I think I don't know off the top of my head, but yeah, it, it's just this massive buff. Problem we have those again. Go wide decks are not popular in standard right now. No, uh, and they're really just not practical because of how long it takes. You you have to you're going for a longer game. So, and when we say go wide, we're meaning a lot of creatures on the battlefield, and you're trying to go basically overwhelm your opponent with smaller amounts of damage. Um, Oh, we could do that as a uh, uh, words to live by for yeah. our next episode. We probably we we just might. Um, so, like I said, it's not popular and standard right now, but you might see a couple cards like Devilish Valet may see some play. Probably not, but maybe the uh, Social Climber may also see a little bit of play. We'll see. It depends on whether you know people decide that the life gain strategy is going to work. I don't know. So we'll see what happens. Let's talk about how we play with the Alliance ability, how we play against it. And again, just want to remind people, we haven't done this for a while, that these are just our opinions, our observances. 
from having seen this ability in use, sometimes using it ourselves. We're not saying that these are the only ways to play with the ability and play against it, but these are kind of the main ideas, and you know, do take them and do with it as you will. So if you're going to play with the Alliance ability, probably the most important concept you need to keep in mind is you must protect your payoffs. If you let your creatures with Alliance die, all you're going to end up with is a little bunch of tokens or small creatures that aren't going to do much good of, of anything. It's having those ETB payoffs that really make the Alliance deck work. You also want to generate a lot of creatures. Again, it's kind of the, the way the deck functions. If you're not able to get a lot of triggers from creatures entering the battlefield, those, those Alliance creatures aren't really going to do you all that much good. In a go-wide deck, you really do know, need to know when to attack and when to play defensive. If you're able to get the attack in without losing a lot of creatures, great, do it. But at the same time, if you're having to play defensively, but they're taking out more creatures than you're able to generate every turn, that's not going to work for you either. So make sure you know when to attack and when to just hold back. And finally, in a go-wide deck, the way you really win isn't necessarily having enough creatures to always go around your opponent, go wide with your, your, your numbers, but it's having the right finisher card. And one of the, the classics, Overrun, gives creatures a buff and trample. Another is Triumph of the Hordes, gives trample them trample and, and infect. Creator right? Hoof Behemoth. Creator Hoof Behemoth. Plus or, X, plus X, and trample where X is the number of creatures that you control. Right. Or in, in the current set, we already talked about Jetmere. The idea being you will have all these creatures out ready to go, ready to attack, and then right at the end of your first main phase, right before you're ready to attack, you drop Jetmere. And then when your opponent thinks, oh, they're just going to go ahead and chill for another turn, you drop Jetmere, you're ready to pass to go to combat. Maybe they have a kill spell, maybe they don't, but if they don't, all of a sudden, if you have those that nine or more creatures, it's a very different combat combat phase for your opponent mm -hmm. than what they were just thinking it was going to be. So make sure you have that finisher available to really take advantage of the number of creatures. If you have to play against the ability, Chris, what so, should you do? All right, so if you're playing against um, Alliance, remove the payoffs. Targeted removal is your friend. Um, as Joe showed me on Saturday, just how powerful exiling <laughs> is. Um, I am more akin to say, if you can, exile it instead of destroying it because you are in white and you are playing against someone that is playing white and green, which is both recursion colors. Yeah. So if you can exile it, it is it will behoove you. But definitely get it off the battlefield. Yes. They can't get their payoffs if, they, if the cards are not there. Um, usually the creatures will be small. This will be easier to work with because... Um, Typically, tokens are you know only going to be like one ones, maybe one twos. Um, you can uh, you can kind of if you know that you're going to be going up against it ahead of time uh, because they're small, and this will actually tie into uh, keeping the creature count in check. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, stuff that punishes your opponent for um, attacking stuff like light minefield, where it deals where light minefield deals one damage to each attacking creature for the number of attacking creatures. Oh, okay, yeah. So it will be punishing. So if they yeah. if 
they can sit there and gain all the life they want, but if you have stuff that uh, is detrimental to them right. swinging into you, that will actually... It'll help significantly. That's it'll a good help, idea, yeah. It'll protect you, but it won't really kind of put a stop to their shenanigans. Right. But it'll, uh, it will give you time to find an Kind of lock them down a little bit. Which... And make them, force them to make difficult choices. Exactly. Yeah. And then that will give you time to find your mass removal spell. My favorite right now is Slaughter the Strong, because you have to pick a power total power of four amongst all of your creatures, and then sacrifice the rest. Because it says sacrifice, it That's gets true. around indestructible. It does. And it's a total power of four? Total power of four. So typically, yeah, that's going to get rid of all of your big, big threats that you're going to have. Oh, and, and. If, if, ah, they have, so, if they have Jetmir out, guess what? So that, that actually gets into an, an interesting point because <laughs> with Jetmir on the field, if you have a bunch of creatures, let's say they only have enough for the plus one, plus zero, all right? They only get to have four. So if they have one ones because of Jetmir, they're two ones. And they will remain two ones until Slaughter the Strong resolves. So they're only going to get to keep two creatures, which will, at, as soon as Jetmir goes away, they had four power, now they have two power. Oh, mm. that's good. That is mean, but good. Oh, well done. That is my, that is my, <laughs> that is my mass removal um, in my wall, in my, oh, yeah. in my wall deck, because the highest power is, let's see, it's, Arcades at three. Right. And Tetsuko at one. Right. Which means if I have both of them and a bunch of walls, I go, I want this one, this one, and all of my walls totaling four. What are you going to keep? Exactly. Oh, that's good. So, that is good. Um, mass removal. Uh, you also have things like uh, Toxic Deluge. Yeah. Um, Fumigate. Uh, there are count uh, Wrath of God, uh, Damn, oh, yeah. Damnation. Oh, you have like mass removal at of your course, disposal pen, pending your format pending format yes mm-hmm. um there is always there's always going to be mass removal in yeah. the format in some in each format in some way or another um you just want to have it yeah. um if you are going in if you're playing in like a tournament um i would suggest having some of those in your sideboard if you can that yeah, way if rather you go than main decking yeah, yeah rather than main boarding if you sideboard it um, that way you can go, oh, I'm going up against a guy that's playing a legion, uh, alliance. Uh, put those mass removals and stuff in mm-hmm. there just to kind of help you out. Um, so that's when you're playing against it. And uh, what's next up on the list? Uses in different formats. Um, Commander, uh, because you're in red, white, and green, mm-hmm. you are in your typical token generation colors. Yeah. And so these ones will definitely get payoffs. I mean, we already have. Uh, there's uh, Selesnya decks that, yeah. will, like Social Climber, that one's going to be an, uh, oh, pretty yeah. much an auto-include. Um, the Rumor Gatherer might not, but there are some that will just be absolutely bonkers. Pl- yeah. Plus, things like, because you're in white and green, that gives you access to Parallel Lives, Doubling Season, and oh, Anointed Procession. That is true. Well, so you can make big token, lots of, yeah. Well, d- Doubling season doubles up tokens. Right. Parallel lives double up tokens. Anointed procession. Anointed procession tokens. Yeah. And so if you have all three of those on the field, that's, that's a lot of tokens. Two times two, that's four times eight. Uh, instead of getting one, you're getting eight. That's a lot of tokens. Um, so yeah, uh, you're, you're probably going to see these cards show up in commander decks. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, especially Social Climber, probably the most common one. 
I think Rumor Gatherer might also see a little bit, again, depending on what other card draw you are able to have in the deck and what you want to do. Because again, I mean, that first scry is nice, then you draw, and then everything after that is a scry, which essentially lets you manipulate the top of your deck. You know, that's why you don't get the card in hand. You're guaranteeing what you draw on the next turn, which is nice. And there are ways to you know. draw cards in white and green. Right. So, so, I mean... It might see some play. The Devilish Valet will, will see play. I just don't know exactly to what extent. Oh, um, I, I put him in my uh, Haste Tribal. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. All right, so, so that covers Alliance, unless you have any less... I was just going to say, it's probably not going to see much play in Standard, Modern, or Pioneer. Um, again, Modern and Pioneer, there are just token, token strategies don't work very well or the same way. Uh, the whole go wide where you build up an army and try to keep your opponent at bay for a while, it just take it's too slow. It takes too long. You really need to have a much faster approach. That's all. So, uh, but we'll we'll definitely see some of these cards in. All right, casualty, Chris. All right, so casualty <laughs> debuted in Streets of New Campina as the Maestros or Grixis for you older players. Yes. Um, color theme mechanic. Uh, it's a new take on spell copying abilities, primarily instants and sorceries, with one notable exception. We'll cover that in the featured cards. Um, Joe, what is the rules for casualty? So the rules for casualty are actually fairly simple, and it's very intuitive how you have to actually use it. There's just a couple key things we want to point out. From the comprehensive rules, 702.153, casualty is a keyword that represents two abilities. The first is a static ability that functions while the spell with casualty is on the stack. The second is a triggered ability that functions while the spell with casualty is on the stack. So casualty N, where N is the number listed next to casualty, means as an additional cost to cast this spell, there's our word to live by, you may sacrifice a creature with power N or greater. And when you cast this spell, if a casualty cost was paid for it, copy it. If the spell has any targets, you may choose new targets for the copy. Paying a spell's casualty cost follows the rules for paying additional costs, which we have talked about earlier. And then, if a spell has multiple instances of casualty, each is paid separately and triggers based on the payments made for it, not any other instance of casualty. So here's the important part about casualty. When you cast the spell, as you are determining additional cost you are free to pay the casualty cost. And that's the first part of this ability, all right? The second part where you actually create the copy doesn't happen until you cast the spell. And that's because of the, the steps to actually casting a spell, which we will go over at some point. Uh, the way it works is you, once you start to cast the spell, you can't put anything on the stack anyway, so it doesn't matter if you, if it when it triggers at that point, it only makes sense that it would trigger after you actually cast it. So once you cast the spell, then the casualty trigger will happen. And then the copy will actually go on top of the original spell on the stack. So that's an important distinction to note that if you are doing the casualty cost, if you're paying that additional cost, you'll have two cop or yeah, two, two versions of the spell. The copy will resolve first and then the original will resolve second. And of course, if the spell does have multiple instances of casualty and you pay all of them, then the copies 
will go on top of the original in whatever order you choose because they all trigger separately and then you can go ahead and uh, you know let those resolve one at a time. Do keep in mind that priority is passed between the resolution of each copy and the original. All right, so there's a lot of things that can go on and happen in between the uh, actual resolution. Chris, would you like to discuss and have a little chat about a little chat? Yes. <laughs> so uh, the first feature card is a little chat. It's an instant. Its cost is generic and a blue, and its casualty cost is one, uh, meaning you have to you may sacrifice a creature with power of one or greater uh, to copy it. And it uh, and a little chat is look at the top two cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, and the other one on the bottom of your library. So, um, top deck manipulation. Yep, and, basically. And card advantage. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, so for a total of two mana and, and one creature. Which we do want to point out. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'll let you finish. And then we yep. want to point out something about that. Um, one creature. So... Two mana, one creature. You get to look at essentially the top four and put two into your hand, which is great. And I, I think that's a good rate. And the way that and the way that this works is the first one will resolve, so you look at the top two, put one into your hand, one at the bottom, and then the second one will do it, so you you do it again, and so that you're getting you um so it's not so much top deck manipulation, it's more along the lines of you're getting card advantage and also at a rate of two cards for two mana yeah and a creature i mean that's that's when you get to choose the top out of the which one you want out of the top two cards mm -hmm. of the library which is kind of nice yeah but it is important to note that yes it is two cards pick one the other one goes on the bottom then pick or then draw two more or look at the top the next top two put one into your hand and one on the bottom so it's not top four all at once and that's an important distinction to make. If you want the top two cards, sorry, you're going to have to pick one and put the other one on. Yep. Now, I did want to point out, you mentioned that you had to sacrifice a creature. And that is something we want to point out. You are only allowed to sacrifice one creature with casualty. You may not sacrifice two one ones for casualty two. It can only be one creature with power two or greater for casualty two. Most of the time, it's not too difficult. You're looking at smaller creatures, but that is important to keep in mind to pick one. Our next featured card is Grizzly Sigil. This is a sorcery for one black. It has casualty one and choose target creature or planeswalker. If it was dealt non-combat damage this turn, Grizzly Sigil deals three damage to it and you gain three life. Otherwise, Grizzly Sigil deals one damage to it and you gain one. So casting this hard cast for only one copy, not that great. One damage, gain one. Sack a token, though, on top of it. Deal four damage, gain four life for one black mana and one creature. That's a great rate of return. I am now falling, falling in love with Casualty. Like, now, mind you, there's also that one, the last one that we're going to cover, mm -hmm. because you absolutely trounced me with it, but <laughs> this is... I am loving this because it's in white. Sorry, it's in red and black, which mm -hmm. is aristocrats. So yeah. I'm I'm actively brewing a aristocrats deck featuring casualty cards in my head, and it's going to be absolutely bonkers. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> plus, I'm uh, so I'm actually this is the first time that I've seen Grizzly Sigil. Um, I need it for Conrad. Oh yeah, it's it's pretty good. Yeah. 
uh, and casualty would work out well in your Sir Conrad deck. Yeah, yeah. Gotta love killing my own things and reanimating them. Yes, you do. Next, Chris. All right, so we're gonna light them up. Uh, so it's a sorcery for a generic and a red. Casualty cost is two. Uh, and it is light them up, deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. So for, again, two mana and one creature, power two, um, it will deal four damage. I know this one hasn't seen quite as much play because it's at sorcery speed, but some people may enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, the nice thing you could do, <laughs> you can put this on Isochron Scepter. Oh. And so Isochron Scepter is an older card. Uh, it's originally from the Mirrodin block mm -hmm. that enables you to imprint instants and sorceries. As and it then, enters the battlefield, you right. exile a instant or sorcery card from your hand with mana cost two or less. Yep. Um, and then you can pay two and tap Isochron Scepter to uh, copy uh, the exiled spell. Well, not just Not just copy. Cast. Yeah, cast and copy. And that's the important part because you're casting the copy, you get to pay the casualty. Oh right. so at least let me let me double check the rules on that again, which I I think it is correct. Yes. So as an additional cost to cast the spell, yeah. So you it doesn't have to be from your hand or anything, so you can cast it and you could you could do that multiple times. But really I think that's the only way this is really beneficial. I mean, it's a decent removal spell in limited, but you know, outside of that. It's just a great example of Casualty 2 and what you can do with that. Now, Chris, I know you pulled one of these cards. I've actually pulled two of them. Two of them. Awesome. Yeah, one of them is a showcase. One of them is in that. Oh, sorry. One of them is a borderless. The other one is a uh, um, regular. So well, you just got yourself a whole lot of uh, wonderful little Obnixilis there. Yep. So. Ooh, that's a nice price tag. So, Chris, talk to us about Mobnixilis. The Adversary. All right, so it's Obnixilis, The Adversary. Its mana cost is a generic, a black, and a red. Legendary Planeswalker, Nixilis. Casualty X. The copy isn't legendary and star and has starting loyalty X. Um, so, and he comes in with, uh, the normal one is, enters with three loyalty counters on it. Uh, plus one is each opponent loses two life unless they discard a card. If you control a demon or a devil, you gain two life. Uh, minus two is create a 1-1 one, one red devil creature with when this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. And minus seven, target player draws seven cards and loses seven life. Um, what really makes this card stand out is that casualty X. Because even though he comes in with three, if you have a, oh, I don't know, 10-10 creature that you can just kind of willy-nilly, you know, sack on the spot. I did. <laughs> you can go, okay, I'm going to sacrifice him as the ca as the yeah. additional cost for casualty, and he will come in as a 10-10. Well, 10 loyalty, but yeah. Sorry, sorry, 10 loyalty, and so the first one you can go, eh, plus one, second one, the other one, minus seven. I'll draw seven cards and lose seven life. Yep. Now... Really, really quick, fun fact about this card in particular. If you are going to use the casualty ability, the the loyalty for a Planeswalker, the, the reason Planeswalkers don't immediately go to the graveyard is because of that little loyalty number printed in the bottom right-hand corner. All right, As part of their entering the battlefield, they get that many loyalty put on them. The ability from casualty that's granted from the Obnixilis card 
is essentially has starting loyalty X is the same as that little number in the bottom of the card. So if you sacked a 10-10 for the casualty cost, it would come in with 10 starting loyalty. Of that. If, but it's also non-legendary, if you were to make a copy of the non-legendary Obnixilis, all right, its starting loyalty is also now 10 and it's non-legendary. So think about how many copies of Obnixilis, the non-legendary version, you can make, all with starting loyalty 10. Just some fun facts to think about. The dominant colors for casualty. We have four in blue, five in black, two in red, and one multicolor, our Obnixilis, right? From the commander set, we have one in blue, one in black, one in red, and one in multicolor. This would be face commander of the deck. And I know that that commander in particular has gotten quite a number of decks to his name. And people are rather excited about being able to give all their instants and sorceries casualty too. Chris, do we have any featured decks with casualty? Um, Featured decks, uh, if you can generate uh, sack fodder for this deck, uh, it's always going to be a good thing. Um, but uh, otherwise, outside of limited, they don't really have a featured deck. And we've been seeing that. That's pretty common, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, They're well-balanced for limited. They seem to work well in limited, but outside of that, it's just, it's tough to balance a deck with sacrifice fodder at the same time finding a good spell that has a, a payoff that's worth it. Unless you're running a dedicated sacrifice, it is really difficult for, for that to happen. Chris, if you're playing with the casualty ability, what do you need to do? Well, like we just said, you need to have a balance of spells and sack fodder. Um, and you want to keep your sack fodder alive until you want to use it and sacrifice it. Um, casualty cards are typically overcosted slightly uh, for their effect. Pay attention to their uh, to your mana base. Um, there are, uh, for instance, light them up. It does two damage, but it is mm -hmm. two um, at sorcery speed. At sorcery speed. I mean, why would you do that? It just run shock. One red for an instant that deals two damage. Mm -hmm. you know? So you got to really have a... Bit or depending on your format, lightning bolt. Lightning, exactly, right. Lightning Frostbite. Bolt. Yeah. Well, even... You're right, because, yeah, you can just run snow-covered mountains and deal more damage with frostbite instead. Mm -hmm. um, again, at instant speed. So, yeah, you got to really, really want to get that casualty cost. And lastly, only truly, uh, only truly useful if you pay the casualty cost. Um, case in point... Obnixilis. You aren't playing him for himself. You are playing him for his casualty ability to get something possibly bigger or to have another copy of him. You know, yes. However, I could argue that one. Because would you really cast Obnixilis and not pay a casualty? Yes. Yes, I would. Because, especially in Limited, all right, in Limited, he is powerful enough that just that losing two life, unless you discard a card, I mean, you, you found out how difficult it is when you have to discard cards, and then if you happen to put him in a demon or devil deck, or in a deck with demons or devils, which there are plenty in New Capenna to choose from, then you're going to gain life at the same time, all for one loyalty. I mean, granted, I wish it were two loyalty, but that would be a little too broken. Um, I think that's a great rate. Now, Ideally, yes, you're going to use the casualty ability to get him out there and get two copies of Obnix. But I could see casting him. Um, there's another one 
that oh and you know depending on what kind of deck you're running grizzly sigil may be the right way to go well you know what no i disagree with that because then even if you already have dealt non-combat damage well no because it has to be to one creature if it was dealt yeah otherwise well eh, maybe i don't know i could i could see sometimes where you don't really need to but never mind forget it <laughs> <laughs> the more i keep talking about it, the more i'm like no you should really just although of all of them grizzly sigil i think is the only one cost effective uh, by itself oh one for one for one you know deal one damage gain a life for one that's not bad but deal four gain four for one in a creature that's much be- oh don't get me wrong that's a great rate of return <laughs> But that is an amazing rate of yeah, return. That, that, that is really good. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Sorry, I'm thinking in like legacy. Um, there's one where it's like if you gain life, you create. Um, it's a green, and I think it's whenever you gain life, you can pay. So you can pay like two, and you create a, um, a unicorn or something okay. like that. Um, so for three mana and a creature, you get to gain life, create a gain life, gain four life, create a. Uh, mm. Yeah. Create a unicorn that I believe is a 2 2. Okay. And guess what? You can do it all over again. Nice. So, nice. I mean, that, great. Now I want to, now I'm going to, like, I'm probably going to be spending tomorrow at work brewing decks. <laughs> but, it, it, but, you know, sorry, I, I, when I say brewing decks, I mean inventorying. Uh, sorry, you can't see the air right, quotes. Right, right, right. <laughs> if you're playing against a casualty deck or cards with casualty, you got to realize there are only going to be so many creatures and spells in the deck due to the necessity of a balance. And this is what I find hard about aristocrat-style decks. You have to balance that sacrifice fodder with the payoff. And you, it, depending on what you draw, makes a huge difference in what you're going to do that turn. Really get out of hand quickly if you draw too much of one or the other. Uh, if that there may also only be a few casualty spells in the deck, too. So maybe there's like only Grizzly Sigil. In that case, be careful of Grizzly Sigil because they have it in there for a reason, or Obnixilis because they have it in there for a reason, but it may be the only casualty card in the deck. As we talked about kind of with Alliance, you, you wanted to eliminate the payoffs in Alliance. In this case, you want to eliminate the Sacrifice Fodder. If you get rid of their ability to actually use the casualty mechanic, then you don't have to worry about it. They're paying way too much for way too little. And they may not even cast the spell at that point. Um, But you do want to remember, once they choose to sacrifice a creature, there's no point in time where you can eliminate that choice because of the way the game works. So once they've chosen to sacrifice a creature to pay the casualty cost, it's going to happen, whether you like it or not. Both copies of the spell will go on the stack. Yes, there is a way to stop it in the turn. Well, yes, in that case, they would get exiled from the stack, yes. But the, you can't destroy the creature to get rid of the, the casualty. It's, it's going to happen. Yeah. All right. Uh, you can also focus on removing the smaller creatures. The smaller creatures are going to be the ones that they really want to sack for casualty. Um, they don't really want to sacrifice their larger creatures if they have any. And since you only get to choose one, and they do have the rule in there that it has to be that power or greater, 
I really only want to sacrifice my 1-1 one, one token for a casualty 1 mechanic, but if all I have is a 6-6 six, six and I need to do that doubling, well, then I'm going to have to sacrifice the 6-6. Six, six. You know, the only reason you want to sacrifice a big creature is if you have Obnixilis. In that case, then yeah, you need to make a quick shift, but otherwise you want to focus on the smaller creature. And then there are really only a few truly useful casualty cards most of these you're not going to have showing up. Like, I would not think outside of somebody really desperate and limited, you're going to see all that much. No. You know, it, it it's just not really I, going to happen. <laughs> I think the two biggest ones is going to be Grizzly Sigil and Obnixil. Just because yeah, four damage, four life, for one, for a black right. and a creature. For casualty, one. Right. So that's a citizen. Yeah. That is a cat. Yeah. I would say germ, but... The germs don't count, yeah. Germs are... Zero. Oh, wait, unless they are the germ is equipped. Ooh, you're right. In which case, it does count, and then the equipment gets left on the battlefield. <laughs> oh, now I want to build a living... Now I want to build a living artifact. Because, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it checks what the power was when you actually sacrifice it. So if it's a germ token, which is a zero zero, right? Yep. It's a zero zero germ that's equipped by something else. You can sacrifice your germ token. The equipment stays on the battlefield, and you can get your casualty trigger. <coughs> that's not a bad idea. That, uh, <laughs> that, that wow, I am. It's absolutely scary sometimes how my brain works. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. All right. So Joe, what about in different formats? Well, there is the like we mentioned, a commander precon that's built around this. And that commander is currently one of the most popular on EDH rec, which is great, uh, but that could be short-lived. Who knows how long that commander is really going to stick around and be popular. We might see a few cards see play in multiple format, but most, they're just, they're too mana intensive for the effect that, and I keep going back to light them up. It's just not cost effective. There are and so many. And sorcery speed. Exactly. I, I mean, the only downside to Grizzly Sigil is it is at sorcery speed. Right. Yeah, even even a little chat. Okay, you're going to pay two to look at the top two and draw one at instant speed, but it's really only beneficial and, and truly useful if you use the casualty mechanic to go along with it. So, we'll see. I think it's a little early for this one to, to see how it'll fare in other formats, but it's going to be a, it's going to have a good commander deck, you know, um, and we'll see how many of the cards with casualty already printed on them actually see play in that but you know, you never know. It might it might get some hype later on. Chris, I think we have just gone through two mechanics really quick. Uh, but before we take off, we do have another new set that will be debuting not too long. Uh, on June 10th, this one drops. This is Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate. Now, are you a Baldur's Gate D and D fan? Um. Uh... Most of the D&D that I have played have been either homebrews or one-shots, so okay. I haven't really played Baldur's Gate, but I am absolutely loving some of the cards that I've seen. Um, this is the first time ever that Wizards is printing legendaries at common, right? Um, and then also the whole uh, um, background mechanic. Uh, because they aren't having partners in this set. Yeah. Um, they are using backgrounds as legendary enchantments to act as a second commander. Um, Which, of course, we gotta we got to remind people that Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate is the second iteration of Commander Legends, 
which is meant to be draftable commander decks, all right? So you need to have that color fixing so that you can get the colors you need for your commander as you go along. Um, and that's, that's in the first set we had partners, had a lot of partner decks. They, however, have done away with partners for this set, and they are now looking at uh, the backgrounds as your other ability. So. And some of the backgrounds are absolutely hilarious. Some of them are, like, kind of... Now, don't get me wrong. I've played Dungeons & Dragons. Mm -hmm. I know some of the backgrounds. Like, uh, let's see. Uh, Cultist. Yep, that's a background. Yep. Uh, where's another one? Next good one is... Wow. Uh, oh, Popular Entertainer. We have this one down here. Oh. You know. Um, Noble Heritage. Yeah. Yep. So there, there are a lot of great ideas. Raised by giants. <laughs> we'll see how they actually work in practice, but I don't know yet. I'm excited to see adventures coming back. Yeah, Adventure and they cards. aren't on creatures. They aren't all on creatures, which is interesting. I don't know how I feel about that yet, but adventure mechanic is coming back, so that's going to be good. Yay, Lucky Clover. Uh, Myriad, <laughs> as a mechanic, will be back that's, for this one. I'm, in, I'm really yeah. excited for that one. And uh, I like that there are a couple god creatures in this one. And so they have done a new way to give the gods indestructible, where you need to have your life total equal to half or less than half of your starting life total for the god to be considered indestructible. So um, I, I think they have a lot of good ideas. I'm not as excited about this set because of the... I'm not overly into the Baldur's Gate idea, but I think they have some good ideas. And, and um, I should say I'm not into the Baldur's Gate IP, but... I think they have some good ideas with some cards. So I'll probably pick up a couple couple singles and some things that I'm really interested in. Uh, I think it's time we call this episode to a close. We are, after all, excited about uh, Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate. And probably on our next episode, we maybe, maybe, I think our next schedule recording, it ought to be out by that point. If not, it'll be out, coming out shortly. Um, we'll be able to give you some more ideas about our thoughts on Baldur's Gate in the future. Mm -hmm. So... As always, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have any feedback, please send feedback. We want to know what you think of the show. You can get in touch with us through our email at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com or Facebook and Twitter at mtgunderthehood. And with that being said, Chris. Thank you for listening to this episode of Magic Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I am Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned.